0: You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.
1: Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to... BlankerPress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. and girls welcome to another episode of tales with tr i'm your host terry ryan jr good to be with you again today Uh, we're gonna get right into it pretty soon with my guest ryan power but right now i'm gonna give you a little bit of a background i know i kind of explained before but i've wanted to have ryan on for a while because well i mean there's a few levels to this guy, but he, you know, he was a good hockey player, real fast, fastest player I've seen from Newfoundland. And that's saying something. And, um, but, uh, he's, he trains kids now, you know, and it's real, it's a positive vibe. And I know there's a lot of people are trainers and coaches and, you know, but I plan on getting some, some more from Newfoundland on here too. Uh, because you know, the, it's not easy work. It, I mean, it, it, it's nice to be around the game and, and around, you know, wanting to train kids or, or, you know, not all kids, some adults, whatever it might be, be a trainer, so to speak. But it's the right, trust me, I've been around Ryan. It's uh it's the right mindset and focus. And if you're having fun while you're doing it and you're smiling, it's a lot easier. At least it wasn't mine. That's why I really identify because I hated feeling like I was at some boot camp when, but while I was training. There's a way to do it and have fun. Anyway, Ryan's one of those guys. Oh, but At the same time, commanding respect. Of course, a lot of people can have fun. That's the easy part, right? But anyway, Ryan came in years ago. Uh, he's from Norman's Cove. Uh, Norman's Cove Long Cove now, I believe it's called. Um, And showed up at my my parents' house when I was living there. I guess I was when I was living there. I mean, it's my parents' house. I'm there all the time. But, you know, I came back from pro. I, I never had a house. You know, I would come back from playing a wherever it was, and um, just in, in a, stayed in a room at my parents' house. Why not, really? And um, so Ryan, I, I knew of him. He would skate with us. There was, uh, you know, a few skates on the go around town. And I knew of the young players, still do. Ryan, again, is only a couple years younger than me, but he was just leaving to go away, I guess, and I'd been just drafted or getting there. And... um ryan showed up at the door with his hockey gear said look i'm on the way to a skate i really look up to you and uh you know i'm looking to go to north bay they've got me i'm I'm leaving on a plane to go there soon and uh you know i wonder if you have any tips and you know such just wide-eyed and ready for for the world you know and he was on his way to an experience that i knew would be you know being from normanscope it's one thing for me to move from mount pearl which is a suburb of St. John's, you know, right out to the other side of the country that was hard to do. Well, you know, North Bay isn't exactly Toronto and Norman's Cove isn't exactly St. John's. So that was, uh, it must have been an eye-opener for a guy. You know, the Newfoundlanders, we we do. We tend to get homesick. You got to leave the island and there's a sense of comfort there and belonging. And, you know, it's just, it's a little bit different for someone coming from Newfoundland, I've often said, than if you're from, say, I don't know, somewhere in Ontario when you join the OHL. Um, at the very least, if you play even in North Bay, which is a ways away from Toronto, if you're from the area, you might go back on a road trip or whatever. Uh, there's just there's so many levels to it. You know, You you're, your parents are a flight away or your friends. It's not like you can just at any point, if things break down, you can just hop in a cab or a bus and go see them. You know, so there's a sense of detachment and and you want to get along with your coach and your friends and you just want to be a good teammate and and all those worries off the ice are are you know more present than they are for people that might not have to travel as far that don't have such a connection to home and it's a battle and so you're battling on ice and off ice and again I'm not underestimating what teenagers do a lot of us had a lot of them will have adversity off the ice. But uh, I always found, for a Newfoundlander anyway, most of us, there's uh, there's a little bit more to it, leaving home the way we do and leave, having to leave home early on. I mean, I left at 14. A lot of people still do that. Alex Newhook's one of them. So uh, anyway, and he's a guy who Ryan trains. Anyway, uh, you know, he, he came back, he played hockey, didn't have like phenomenal numbers, but that wasn't the deal. I always thought, now where players are kind of specific... You know, you have a specific third-liner, fourth-liner. Clark Bishop's a good example from Newfoundland. Gets games in the NHL the last three years. Probably we will get more this year, and he's a role player, right? Kills penalties really well. Is a great hitter. Work hard. Put him in any role. He can kind of do it. But, um, you know, don't expect him to score 50 or be on the first line of the power play. Well, Ryan Power was that sort of a player. Back when you'd kind of take the top 12 forwards, you know, you'd take the top 12 and then, um, go from there. Whoever was on the fourth line was probably going to be on the first line someday. You know, at least, you know, that was your goal. Everybody that came in usually went through the fourth line. I remember playing Boston, and Joe Thornton was on the fourth line, as was I, but two young players. Um, you know, if I had stayed, I, I wouldn't, I would expect, you know, I went the first round to be more than a fourth liner. And as Joe Thornton became, you know, one of the most prolific passers of all time. A great Canadian, probably going to be in the Hall of Fame, well, will be in the Hall of Fame pretty soon. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, now, given the way the game is now and you can take a guy who's a bullet and, you know, specifically hone him or her, um, lots of female leagues, uh, professional leagues popping up. I'm going to have a lot of girls on, Maggie Connors pretty soon and uh, some of her friends in the NCAA. I want to look at that too. And Ryan trains a lot of those girls. So that's another reason Ryan just, uh, he he trains a lot of people in town, female and male, and they seem to have success. A girl, Maggie Connors, again, I just mentioned, um, played with Team Canada this summer as their captain now on her team in Princeton and uh, has has been impressing ever since i remembered. I saw Maggie play when she was 11 or 12. And... Uh, She's, like I said, I think she's in her last year at Princeton now and doing mighty fine. And getting her foot in the door with Team Canada, as she did with the Team Canada developmental team this summer. So congrats to Maggie. And anyway, that's Ryan in a nutshell. People who come across Ryan appreciate his work ethic. He was a damn fine hockey player. I think could have gone a little bit further if uh, the time was now, so to speak. And uh, Ryan also went and in mid-2000s was on Making the Cut. It was a A reality show, think like, you know, a reality show whereby the prize was winning a pro contract. And Ryan impressed at the camp, ended up playing in the Central League as a direct result of it. Came home here, played a little bit of senior hockey, but more than anything is a trainer who's got a fantastic resume in that regard right now. So, without further ado, Ryan Power coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest was born and raised in rural Newfoundland and is quite simply one of the fastest players I've ever seen lace up skates. His blistering speed opened up doors and led to a junior career spent in both the OHL and the QMJHL with a cup of tea in the Maritime Junior Hockey League before spending five years at UPEI graduating with a sports science degree in 2004. He was also a contestant on the Canadian reality show Making the Cut, which followed a group of amateur hockey players looking for professional contracts, and that led to a two-year stint in the Central Hockey League. These days, he uses the knowledge he gained in both the dressing room and the classroom to train young, up-and-coming Newfoundland hockey players, including our most recent Stanley Cup winner and speed demon, Alex Newhook. He is a cool coach a hell of a hockey player a terrific trainer a smooth skater he's never late and loves to skate he's in the lead when we're talking speed squirrels like nuts and he made the cut he ended in pro but started in the o he's size 11 shoe and also played in the Q. he can really fly and went to upei he cooks food on his stove and is from norman's cove folks the blue jays play by the cn tower and here he is my guest it's ryan power how you doing ryan
2: I'm doing great, TR. Uh, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm all right. Now, do you drive? I know you live out around Clarenville, right? Do you drive in here every day?
2: Yeah, most people call me crazy. Um, wow. I'm not, I'm not in there every day, TR. I, I have a great uh, system running, and it's been running like this for years now. Um, so what I do, I do every two days. So I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, St. John's, and then the space you see in the background here. This is the other space. So I do this space on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. So I'm always like trading locations every couple of days, and and it works good. We got a good system. I've had some great staff come through, and uh, and lots of good help. So uh, we certainly make it work. But the days are long, lots of planning and uh, whatnot. So it's not just the training piece uh it's there's so much focus on planning organizing just day-to-day operations so right now you're in clarenville are you i am in clarenville right now yep and so for people that
1: aren't from here how, how far is the drive three times a week in here
2: so it's pretty much from from doorstep to doorstep if i look at leaving my driveway uh and getting to my rope walk lane location we're looking at two hours exactly pretty much
1: how do you fill the time? Do you listen to music or podcasts?
2: You know what, TR? I listen to your podcasts. Um, you. So a lot of times that's when I hear your podcasts. I'm kind of jumping on there once in a while. And of course, you like there's so many mutual friends between you and I and through the years. So uh, your stories are always great. You got guys on there maybe that I don't know. But then all of a sudden there's a mutual connection with that person that you, you have on. So I, I'm listening to your podcast. There's a couple of new things too now that I get into listening to. Um, my playlist regards to music is kind of, I don't know, I guess it's so overplayed that I've moved into the podcast thing and I'm listening to like literally float plane podcast. I'm listening to yeah. all kinds of stuff. Like, you know, could be crime scene, uh, yeah. Podcast stuff like that. So I'm just into a bit of everything. It's wild because I started listening to
1: talk radio AM radio, you know, like talk, I never paid attention to it, but probably 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more. And that went on for a few years and I heard the word podcast and I never really paid much attention and it was a real break. I would go, you know what? Maybe I'll listen to someone talk today and, you know, it'd be like two weeks straight of tunes and then like maybe the one day and it'd feel odd. And now it's the opposite. I know here I am such a music guy. And the first thing I do is make sure that I got the podcast that I really, really want to listen to. I've got them listened to maybe a, because a song, unless it's a new album, it's kind of repetitive and there's so much knowledge to be out there and had that I I would think it makes the drive
2: go a little bit easier. I don't know. Is that the case? It's therapeutic. It yeah. really is. And like, I, if I feel like I'm not too overworked and a lot of times that is the case, but I'll throw on some, maybe like a, a fitness podcast of some sort. And all of a sudden some mentor of mine uh, from back in the day, will will appear on one of these podcasts, and then you got somebody that's interviewing that guy as a guest. And there's some really interesting, uh, things that pop up regards to, you know, the sports science world and what I'm into. Yeah. Uh, but it's so it's just honestly, it's what I'm in the mood for. So usually my routine: I stop, I get a coffee. Uh, I have a coffee every morning, so I stop and get my coffee at the Tim Hortons here on the Trans Canada. And then as I'm actually in the drive-through, that's when I'm kind of scrolling. I'm I'm trying to pick out what I'm going to listen to on the drive-in. So yeah, last the last couple of years, I think it's probably been since COVID that I've uh, really changed it up and just went to the podcast route and stopped turning on music on a regular basis.
1: It's funny. I wish almost that this route was available when I was, well, my first route through school, I didn't get through. It took me had to be 30 years old and done with hockey. And I had a family on the go before I actually went in. And I actually enjoyed school. I didn't mind it. And I took a lot of courses, but it was almost, even then I didn't mind it, but it was to get through. So like, I'd say, what's the, what's, what do I have to do a paper on today? Okay. Uh, the Beatles impact on pop culture in the 1960s. Okay. I can handle that. I know but it, it was almost like gather the knowledge, spit it back out. I didn't absorb it as much. Um, and I wonder if students now do that. Do, do they listen to the books on tape? Do they hear podcasts? Because what I'm getting at is, I mean, I got a folklore degree, a lot of history courses, English. But a lot of the podcasts I listen to have to do with that. And I find I absorb almost more knowledge now. Than I did when I went through school to get a degree on the subject. So, do you learn anything now? Sports I, science isn't the same. You've got it; that got to stick, or else you can't start training people. But do you learn anything new from, say, I a sports science podcast?
2: I'm I'm most often learning about how coaches coach and 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 little things like that. The other yeah. thing too is, is it's uh, and this goes back to my playing days. I'm sure we're going to talk about this when we get into like you know yeah. hockey details as we go along, but like. I like listening to coaches like myself that are working with high-performance athletes, and it becomes like a mental grind, or it's helping somebody mentally—not just the physical part of it. Like, there's so much involved in development regards to the player's growth and and how they think. Like, I, I honestly look back at my small stint as as a like as a player, and honestly, I really really feel that. That was the issue I had. I don't think it was what I did on the ice. I think it was what was upstairs because I, I often lost confidence. Uh, if a coach got hard on me, sometimes I, I I processed that and thought about it way too much, and let it sit for days, not just an hour after a practice. Like it sat with me for a long period of time, and and I used to get down on myself. So if I look back honestly, if we had these podcasts back then, I'd probably be listening to uh, mental health coaches. Yeah regards to, uh, you know, uh, athletes and, and whatever, like through sport, it, like, it's crazy. I met this guy. I don't know if you know, Saul Miller, uh, out in British Columbia. Anyway, he's a, he's a, uh, a guy that writes books on, uh, you know, mental strength, Uh, for athletes, and I know he's done a lot of work with NHL players in the past, and I I met him when I was out in Vernon, British Columbia at a hockey camp. That was the Making the Cut camp I was on way back in 2004. I know you had mentioned that in the intro. And anyway, I got to sit down with him, and man, there's so many players that deal with uh, issues mentally. Like, just, it's a grind. As you know, it's a grind. It's a grind. I don't know how anybody wouldn't. I used to say... When
1: it all started coming out a few years ago, and it's funny because like I didn't even want to say it. I'm, I'm thinking th- there was more than one team. I say the NHL experience, but it was every team I was on. You're always in this place, like you're second guessing yourself. There wasn't as much communication. It wasn't in the culture as much. So uh, sometimes I I wouldn't want to go to the coach. I'd be like, Do I look like a kiss ass? Or and you're you're judging everything. Well, what do my billets think? What do I, you know? And, and <laughs> the coach just looked and shook his head, like. Is he saying I had a bad second period? Because I think I did. You're, it's that it was me. For me, it was that all the time. I didn't communicate enough. I didn't open my mind to other avenues, which I guess would have been a book back then. Now, now it's a little bit more accessible, I suppose. If there's one thing good that came from social media, because I, knock it a lot, it, it is the communication, and I think people are accepting of, you know, we all need a little bit of mental health. I, I, for me, if you're if you're it, I, I would be astounded if it doesn't cross over into other sports. But as a hockey player, you have so many ups and downs, not only in a year, in a day, in a day. And you're trying to deal with it. I mean, le- leaving is one thing. How did you deal with leaving a small place, Norman's Cove? Am I right? Norman's Cove, Long Cove now. Yep. 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 To go to North Bay. Like, was, you yep. know, nor- like I said b- b- before you came out in the preamble. Norman's Cove isn't quite St. John's. So you got a tightly knit community anyway. So it, it's tough to even go there to St. John's, let alone there to St. John's to get on a plane and then North Bay, which is remote, even in Ontario. So how did you
2: deal with that on top of the, on top of the coach's evaluation? You know what? It was a complete culture shock. Like uh, it's nuts, but I'll tell you what, like, I traveled a little bit, you know, growing up. So it's not like it was my first time in Ontario or okay, what. I didn't know that. I, yeah. So I was in Ontario, but not to play hockey. I mean, triple yeah. midget. I remember my triple midget days with St. John's Maple Leafs. We were up there and played in the tournament in Ottawa and, and whatever. So I got to travel, but to go to the OHL, I'll tell you what I remember. This is pretty neat. Uh, I've told this story just a few times, but all that like, there's so many things that we just don't talk about, but I remember going to a mini camp after I was drafted to North Bay and, I remember in our Canada Games camps the year before when I was playing AAA midget and, and, and I was playing on the Canada Games team, we had Cleary on our team. Cleary was the only player playing major junior at the time. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we had Harold Druken on that squad as well. But uh, Harold hadn't gone major junior at that point because Cleary was playing as an underage in Belleville. I remember that. And well, I, and I, I, remember, I followed
1: that team. Right. Where That's when you came into my radar. I, re- I remember watching games a lot about that year.
2: Yeah, and you had to follow uh, Cleary at the time. I mean, he was so good. So anyway, I remember he, there was one camp that he participated in, and Cleary's got this this Belleville gear on. He's got the pants and the gloves and the helmet, and he's got the half visor on it. And we're out skating around, and I'm going, like, that's what I want to do. Like, I, I want to be a hockey player. And, I mean, you know, my skills were developed in Whitburn. Like, you know, I wasn't going through some huge minor hockey association. Yeah. Ontario or Montreal or Quebec, you know, and so anyway, but I realized then it's like, I'm going to, I'm really going to battle and do this. So I remember this sticks with me. We went to a mini camp after I was drafted and I went up there. I didn't know a soul. Like, TR, it was so hard. Like, all these yeah. Ontario boys, yeah. and I got to know these guys, obviously, and become teammates over it's hard, man. two years. You know, I was, in two, I was in North Bay for over two it's years. there's another
1: fucking level every Newfoundlander it, has to go through it, that other people don't, it, and your mind is. is just fucking swamped with shit it, it, off yeah. the ice, and then you go on, and the least of your worries, which is still a big worry, is how you play. But anyway, yep. I found it fascinating.
2: But I'll tell you something. This is nuts. When you talk, about, like, we were just talking about the mental game. I remember walking into the equipment room for mini camp. And the trainer's in there, and he goes, uh, "Give me your pant size, glove size, and your helmet size." And I just got geared out. And you know what? When the helmet went on my head with a half visor, first time ever wearing a half visor, like my confidence went through the roof. So I didn't worry about anyone else that was out there, and I just felt like all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I'm one more step toward being a pro player, and it hit me hard. like it hit me in a positive way. So I went out for minicamp. I still have a newspaper clipping on this somewhere, like amongst all my stuff. And I had an unbelievable mini camp. Like I I scored, I I had a ton of, like, I don't know how many goals I scored, but I was scoring in this mini camp. And then all of a sudden the mini camps finished up. And I remember the coach saying to me, he said, when you come back for training camp for main camp, he said, you're staying, pack your bags, make sure you bring everything you need. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That's a true story. And. So anyway, I went through the mini camp and had great success. And I came home and I prepared that summer. I was mostly just like running and I was learning how to lift weight a little bit, but I didn't really know what I was doing. So it was mostly like running hills and stuff through our community. It's, you know, it's Newfoundland, we're up and down. And I did a fair bit of running and stuff like that. And I had, you know, uh, mom and dad went and got me a set of rollerblades. So I was rollerblading a bit out on the street and doing that kind of stuff. But when I went back to main camp, it was the same feeling. I was confident and I wasn't worried so much about my surroundings or who else was in camp. So I was just doing my thing and I had a, had another successful camp. So this is crazy. I actually started my very first OHL regular season game on the top line in North wow. Bay against Belleville and Cleary. Wow. So, my, my God, that must have been surreal. So As a rookie, I'm on the first line, and this—I still got the picture my billet took from the stands. Like my North Bay billet took a picture, and I still have the picture of me standing on the blue line for O Canada, top line with Lee Jim and Dustin Vrag as my two forwards. And I'm going; these guys just came back from NHL camp, and Mike was was on the line with these guys. So Terry, here was the issue: the what I ran into was not understanding the game well enough at the speed of the OHL level. Yeah, and I, I i just remember when the game was like in play, I felt like I was just all over the place. All of a sudden, we're not out playing pond hockey and, and trying to just make the team as an individual and doing your own thing. All of a sudden, now you're playing a team game. You got systems put in place over the course of training camp. Your coach is telling you to go here, here, forecheck here. And now all of a sudden, things are becoming scrambly. And I probably, I was losing probably a few you know, a few strides on a play here and there. And all of a sudden, now you got to sit back a little bit and real, like now I'm realizing that this, this game is really quick. Like, dude, you know what?
1: I often say to people, cause my dad got shit for allowing his son and my maham to play junior a at 14 and 15. But the thing is when I got to major junior and I ran into the other 16 year olds, my, my first year major junior, I'm 16. It's my third year junior though. And I remember thinking, like, BJ looking at me and going, fuck, what are we doing? Like, with some of the systems? And I was like, yeah, I've been doing these for a couple of years. Like, you know, before that, I played Pee It was take the puck and go. And it was slower. So, you know, we did, I'm not saying we didn't have systems. Durham Conley, God love him. My minor hockey coach, he knew the game. It was just it was yeah. going so much slower. And, you know, there are things like, I don't know, coming through the neutral zone, back to the D, over to the other D. Break. These things that everybody else knew, and it seemed like they were part of a well-oiled machine. I remember... BJ looking at me playing Bantam in, in Alaska, being totally lost. And I remember going, That that right there, if if nothing else, it's worth it. Because I'm out here and I feel like it's my third year in major junior. And the other guys are adjusting to the speed, not only of the players, but of the game around them. And to me, that was just, you know, it's a little bit faster than junior eight, but I knew what was going on. Listen, growing up, what? So you're out, you're you're playing out in Whitburn. Okay. So what was your experience? I mean, it's not that far. We have 45 minutes outside of town. Where's yeah. How far is Nor- Norman's Cove from Whitburn, a half
2: hour? Or, yeah, not no, not even. Like You can get to the rink from my, my doorstep probably down in Norman's Cove, Long Cove, Long Cove is my community. But the, the reason why we always say Norman's Cove is that's where the post office was and that's what your address was. Okay. But uh, like 15 minutes. And, 15 minutes. And yeah. So
1: they had the rink the whole time. So your minor hockey experience was similar other than, I guess, press for ice time because there's only one rink.
2: But yeah, like so I think it's like if I'm like if I'm correct, I think we had maybe two practices a week, and then you're thrown into you know you're sufficient. Your, yeah, yeah. Sufficient so it was
1: to okay. keep you going. If you if you'd been away, maybe a little bit more time, but you had a sufficient. So what was it? Was it I, when I'm saying it? I'm saying your speed. I remember now during that time that you just spoke of, you went to a camp, you came back. I don't know when, but in that world, I remember you knocking on my door. I don't know if you remember this, and I didn't. I, yep. I knew who you were when you said it because we'd skated. I don't know if John Slaney rented the ice in the middle. Of th- there were some skates that we would go to. I remember seeing you there. I think it was at Prince of Wales Arena. Yep, that's right. We're going back so far, but I remember you were so fast. I remember going, holy shit, who is this guy? Sometimes too fast for your own good. You'd get there before you knew what to do with it. And uh, it just it impressed me the first day I ever saw you, I guess when we were I'm a couple of years older than you, but we were teenagers and then I remember you dropped in. You said, is there anything I need to know before I go? Like, what should I, and probably uh, yeah, in the I, summertime,
2: I still remember that. Cause I mean, at the time you had already made a name for yourself and mm-hmm. I was skating with you in the summer and you were just pretty much, you know, uh, not down the street. You're a little ways from Westminster where I was staying at my, yeah. my uncle's, but not far. yeah, I knew where you were. And of course I remember there was a couple of times, you know, we ended up in the gym together there at, uh, new world fitness. And that. yeah, right. So, I just remember like needing advice and like my mom, and dad can't give me advice. My dad didn't play in the OHL. So I'm looking to somebody that already had a little Dude, bit of experience.
1: What I saw is that you're, you were willing to do anything. You were, you were open-minded. You were, you were, you were wide-eyed and, you know, ready for the world. But you, you, you figured every avenue, if I can talk to him, the only other person ever to do that, by the way, is Teddy Purcell. Um, just show up at the door and came in and had a, had a chat, you know, why not? And I remember him saying, well, it can't hurt to talk to you. So oh, I remember that. What did you do specifically for your leg w- w- or were you just a good skater? Did you start by figure skating? Uh, no,
2: I, I, honestly, I don't think I was a great skater growing up. I, I I think I was always fast because if I look back at minor hockey for me, I was always a player who loved having the puck on my stick. And I, I just, like I'm talking about a real young age, if I didn't have it, I was like, I was almost like mad. It's like, yeah. give me the puck. So I just hounded the puck as a kid and I always wanted it on my stick, probably to a point where like as a younger player, really young, I mean, I probably didn't pass a whole lot because I just wanted to score. So I, like, I remember always attacking the net. Like that's what I wanted to do was just put the puck in the net. So you're driven. So, yeah, you're I driven. was. So I think speed probably came a little bit, from competitiveness, but also I, like I, I'm going back to like to the Wayne Gretzky days here. And I know, I mean, I love Wayne Gretzky as a kid and I still do. Like everyone looks up to, you know, the best player in the world. So listening to Wayne Gretzky talk about being a multi-sport athlete, I played, uh, I played basketball, I played a lot of volleyball, Uh, I played softball even I water skied a ton like my family was uh, avid water skiers like being at the lake in the summer at the at the cabin was a big thing so we water skied a lot and I think that was key for balance and what we still water ski my daughters are are they love water skiing they stay away from soccer and softball and they just water ski all summer long and it's it's so cool watching them you know develop that skill but balance and stuff. And I used to run a fair bit. Like, you know, you know what it's like now you pick up your phone to text your buddy, see what your buddy's doing. And then, you know, kids these days always ask for a ride somewhere. Like I had a lot of my minor hockey friends were spread out over Long Cove, Norman's Cove. Like I would literally leave my house and run to their house. It could be a kilometer two kilometers away, but I was running to their house to go see them after school.
1: Yeah. That's wild. Um, Interesting. I've never gone this deep with you and we've known each other a long time. So
2: yeah, because I didn't say, I, I didn't mean, start training. I was going to say I didn't start training until after North Bay, really, when I started. Okay. That's what yet. I was going
1: to ask. You were in North yeah. Bay. Did you, did you work, start working on your legs right away? But I remember you were yeah. fast before you even went there. Okay, so now you start on the first line. How did that first year away go? And, I mean, you look at your junior, and I, did any coach ever look at you and say, my dad said this back in the day. As soon as he saw you play. um, He said, you know, the right coach, that guy could be a role player in the NHL. He said, I don't know if he's ever going to score 50 goals. And no insult to you, but, you know, now, now that seems like more of a possibility. Like I mentioned Clark Bishop. Like he's very strong. He's a good hitter. He's he's a good core. He's fast. There's a role for him. It's pr- never going to be on the first line, but he's been called up and people go, oh my God, Clark 20 games, he only got three points. I'm like, yeah, and they loved it. You know, he, got, he was the first call up because he's not getting called up to score. He's getting called up penalty kill, take face offs and be a role player. Anyway, did they, did anybody ever say that to you? Cause I know you jumped around leagues and you'd have a little bit of success here and there. Your year in Halifax looked great. That's exactly what I would expect. Yeah, games, and I, and I feel like
2: how I feel Halifax maybe came a little bit too late as a 19 yeah. year old. Um, North Bay was a struggle. Like I, I mentioned to you earlier, it was like a culture shock, but I felt like the, the mini camp and the training camp, I was really fitting in I. I didn't even care about getting to know guys at the time. I was just worried about making the team because I was, but in, I was really, in an era where everybody was starting to go to the queue. Why didn't you speak? Uh, I remember receiving the letter, like the letters were coming in the mail at the time. There's no social media, no Facebook, no email. Right. right. So we got the letter and I opened up the letter and it's like, you know, you're potentially going to be drafted. Uh, you got an option. Back then, we had an option. So we had the OHL, we had the Quebec League, and we had the Western League, which is, you know, where you were. But that's a long way to travel. Uh, I can I can go the Q route, but all of a sudden now I may just end up at a French school. And uh, that's true. That's why I didn't want to go there. And the
1: league at the time wasn't as you know it hadn't won the royal cup in like 25 years
2: and right right so and those those things i, I was kind of figuring out and a lot of our Newfoundlanders were in the ohl like i'm a good friend of kurt walsh uh, Yeah. like i actually ran into kurt in moncton last week had a Wicked. great i haven't yeah. seen him in a
1: while jeez he used to be one of my best but i shouldn't say used to be He's still my buddy but know. you know what I'm saying. You oh, doing-
2: it was so awesome to run into him, and uh, and actually, we've been texting since I came home. Like, this is a good good friend. So I remember Kurt was having good success in the OHL. Gordy Walsh, uh, he he was up there, and of course, Cleary was there. So I kind of just, I said, you know, I belong. John Schrover, yeah, John Schrover, a little bit before me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, he was a couple years old. I we actually
2: coached together last year. uh oh, right. On. W- for my daughter, but um, my youngest daughter, Brynn. But anyways, uh, TR, man, like, it was mostly just following in the footsteps of other guys. I know you were at West, but I knew you had gone at West before your well, Tri-City days, right? That so, was
1: unique. Quebec Wee Tournament, Tri-City were there. They yep. worked it out. And the draft was when you're 14. So I said, well, if they don't draft me and live up to their world, I'll just come back home again. So, you know, it was I was so young. And that option, I had to go play somewhere. And they offered me to go out to BC. Yeah, well, sure. Now they drafted me third overall, of course. So I stayed and the rest is history. But that's why. I, I I had an opportunity a lot younger. And my father knew what, what you know, like you're saying, everything that you said, you couldn't bounce ideas off your parents, nothing against them. My dad played pro of all yeah. the Newfoundlanders, especially at that time. There was way less people that had ever gone away. Now it's opened up, you know, somewhat. My yeah. God, then he was See, one of the yeah. only people around with that knowledge. So, yeah. You know, he and his friends would call before social media. I remember being on the phone, you know, probably with five or six of his buddies again that he played pro with. Hey, can you check out? Hey, Chucker, can you check out? See what Tri Cities what they're at, what are they all about? You know, check out Chico Resch, who's running the team. You know, so it, it, I'm not going to say the path was easy, it was hard to move away. But for me, it was always, I knew that he knew. So right. I might not necessarily want to leave O'Donnell, but if he's, Encouraging me to go to Quinnell. there must be a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: My dad knew what I. My dad knew what I needed to do, and he knew what I was capable of doing. Like, so here's the funny thing. I mean, I know listening to your other previous podcasts, like you're a stats guy, you look up guys and stuff like that. If you look at my North Bay stats, there's there's not much there to to see. It doesn't look like there was a whole lot of success there. Uh, individual. No, the
1: success must be games played because you don't get the games played if not. So I know that anyway. Right. Didn't mean to so, cut but, you
2: but here's the thing: I went to North Bay thinking coming into the regular season and starting on a first line, I'm like, I'm going to end up scoring a pile of goals here and I'm actually going to be an NHL draft pick. I I, I had that confidence hundred percent. So after that game, that first game, and this was a home game in North Bay, uh, like I knew it too. I knew I didn't have a good game. I had one assist in that game. So I was like one point first game in, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to do really well here. And, uh, Anyway, the next, whenever we practice next, like I had dropped in the lineup. So I think it was right from the first line to the actual fourth line. I was just fourth line, just like that. And then everything started to fall apart. Like I'm going back to my billets and I'm just kind of sitting around, going in my room, lying down, and I'm trying to process all this. And honestly, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I did not get out of it for the full year. I had a good friend uh, in North Bay, Stephen Carpenter. He's from Prince Edward Island. And he was a first-round draft pick. And uh, I'll never forget my time in North Bay, like just bouncing stuff off. Carps all the time. I'm like, Carps, like what am I going to do here to get back on track? And everything seemed to be falling apart. So I think it built good character. But it was really, really tough on me. And then the next year... The next year, I went back to camp and they decided to send me down to Sturgeon Falls with the affiliate team. And I had, like, it's not on HockeyDB, but it's actually on, if you look at elite prospects, those stats do come up. I think it was, I had like six goals in nine games. And management had changed in North Bay. And then they popped me right back up. And that's, I I knew that's where I remember that, if
1: you can believe it. I remember it happening.
2: Yeah. So they popped me right back up and into the lineup. And then I started to play pretty decent. I remember even like they were giving me a little bit of power play time and and maybe, you know, some penalty kill shifts here and there. So they saw they saw something, but then it seemed to fall apart again. And then by the third year, I went back for training camp and I knew it wasn't working out. Lots of new guys, prospects coming in. So this is where uh this is where I ended up uh, you know, falling into Halifax's lineup that year. Um Jeff Sullivan, uh, who was a good teammate of mine on the tough player played against him oh, Johnstown. Honestly, TR, I'm not kidding. I, I think that guy was the toughest guy I ever played with. One of these fucking killers. Yeah, and that
1: play- when I say tough and you say tough, you're not just talking. Drop the gloves, even though you're talking fucking mean and tough in the corner.
2: Yeah. So think about this. I my second year in North Bay. How about these three guys? I played with Trevor Gillies.
1: Oh my god! He gave me one of the top three punches I've ever taken. So and madman off
2: the ice. And for me to say that Jeff Sullivan's one of the toughest guys, like I played with Trevor Gillies, Chris Neal, oh Jesus. And, and Steve Monidor all in the same year these three guys came in as rookies in North Bay. These guys were my good friends, like good guys, and they all played NHL games. I mean, you look at Chris Neal's career in Ottawa, Trevor Gillies with the Islanders, and, of course, uh, Monidor, God rest his soul. Um, you know, he had a great stint in the NHL, and uh, these guys were all – in North Bay to like with us as rookies. And when I say Jeff's one of the toughest guys, I, I know that guy w- just, it seemed like every time he dropped his gloves, the other guy was on the losing end every single time. I don't know if he lost a fight. Yeah,
1: I've, I've heard. And then I saw him go at it a few times down there. And uh, there's a few that lasted on YouTube, this guy, and I, he must've stayed down there because he's a Sullivan from the Southern shore. Right. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm guessing. he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And
1: he, he must they have oil or whatever.
2: Cape Royal and he actually I'm certain he married uh he married his uh teenage sweetheart from Halifax like uh they were together wow. when I played with him. Okay. Okay. Anyway, w-
1: so he's not back here in Newfoundland, right? Oh, or I would have seen him.
2: Yeah, he's living in just outside of Halifax and I think his his kids play minor hockey in Truro, Nova oh, Scotia. There you go. Yeah, so I know he's still there, but anyways uh what I was going to say the reason I brought up his name though Jeff was a big part of uh management in Halifax, uh, bringing me in, uh, Jeff spoke highly of me. I remember, and I remember just when they brought me in, uh, that was a part of the, you know, the entry meeting and and coming into Halifax and they were looking for a guy like me, a 19 year old guy that could bring some experience and like a little bit of jump, some work ethic and leadership and stuff. And, and Jeff, I think at the time spoke highly of me because I remember that coming in, coming up in my meeting. And so I credit Jeff for, you know, getting me, uh in the lineup there and you know what that was one of the best years of my life you took of,
1: advantage of it you did well
2: yeah it was a good experience and i still had a lot to learn as a hockey player because i felt the two years in north bay w- was like really slow on my development i thought i should have developed a lot faster but it started coming together in in halifax a little bit and i you know i ended up getting some playing time and uh oh man like what a spot to play hockey so well, you're not much
1: different than yeah. me, but what you're describing, your 19-year-old year, is my 16-year-old year, right? Right. Like my, first, right. my first two were in Cornell, Junior A, getting used to it, rough around the edges. Stats yeah. were a little bit different, but it's the same experience. And then going into Major, Junior, and, and navigating around, being away from home, and I would get sick, and, you know, and then – same thing, like I, people think my dad, my dad was coach out there for this special we did. Like, I didn't want him as my coach. He like, came out there. Our coach got fired. He was in town. So he was our coach for like 20 games. And I hated that part. That was worse. I don't want to be this one Newfoundlander with an accent. No one can understand acne all over my face at school, grade nine. And my dad coach in the junior team. And I'm on the power
2: play. No, thanks. I know. Um, I, I struggled with that in North Bay too. I remember like just talking to the guys and getting to know the guys and I, and I did. I had great friends out there, a few of the guys I already mentioned and became close with those guys. But I remember like just, you know, talking like a Newfoundlander. It was hard. These guys couldn't understand you. They're here's the thing. Like, what what? Here's the thing. Those guys I I found this.
1: Like over time I got to love them and, and know them and and it was a real great relationship with a lot of my teammates when I first went away. But I don't know about you, but in Newfoundland, we kind of all joke with each other, but there wasn't as much chirping like there was Shorey level, Letterkenny level chirping going on in the dressing room in Cornell. In and at 14 coming in, I took it like and they would chirp my accent. Now, I took that as a fucking insult. Right. And I'd get upset. But when I got to realize these are just guys on the team kind of joking with me to make me part of the group, they, it took me a while to get used to that, like months and months.
2: I don't know yeah. the same for you. It was exactly the same, and I kind of was a little sensitive. I'm still a sensitive kind of guy now, yeah. uh, but it was the same thing. I, I, I remember just having conversations; nobody could understand what you're saying, and then you start, you know, you start taking it back a notch and slowing down and talking a little more proper so they can understand what you're yeah. saying. And you know, but I felt like when I went from North Bay to Halifax, Jeff was there and. The other Maritimers on the team, I, I just fit right in with everybody, and and I felt like it was uh, and the a place. Com- it was a comfortable place, and uh, you know Jody Shelley was kicking around. He had played there obviously the previous years, and he was still he was in transition from junior to his Dalhousie days. So I know he ha- only had a short stint in Dalhousie, but Jody was always kicking around, and he also even kind of took me under his wing a little bit when I was around and hanging up with these guys, uh, Dean Sock, another good friend yeah. of mine, like God rest his soul. Dean and I were really close and he was another guy. Yeah. He came in as a, as an overager and, you know, we started hanging out and doing everything together. And so as a 19 year old, you're feeling like you're a big part of the group. Like you're, you're fitting in with the the main like the main players on the team that those are the guys that spin in the hog, right?
1: Such a great feeling. It must've felt like night and day with North Bay.
2: Yeah. And then, so I guess at that point in time, I was really starting to, I, I think, well, I had recognized probably back in my midget days, but I knew when I had the puck or I had an opportunity, I could actually go with it. Like I knew then I was I felt like I was faster than everybody then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, my God, faster than everybody. I, 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 I was seeing it from, I've been to NHL camps. I still say it bullet. Like when you train, is it when you, okay. Cause people have asked me this. People have asked me this because I do speak about it a lot. I know a lot of people from Clarenceville. I played out there. Alex Newhook this particular last year, as if I haven't said it enough, won a Stanley cup. We've celebrated it on this show, but Alex is also a rocket. And, he's also a supreme supreme skater because it wasn't just speed you had good agility and everything so is there like people have asked me sorry you know so ryan must train alex the same as he trained growing up so what i'm gathering is that you didn't even know you were just fast it's not like at 12 years old you had a program to make you faster than everybody else so now what did you learn like how do you go about teaching a person like alex say not everybody's in the same position. Maybe someone comes in 12 years old, wants to work on their, I don't know, upper body strength, but say there's people that you train that are specifically going to be skaters. Like, and and do you go right. about that
2: and through anything you learned or was it more what you learned at school? So, so no, I I look at it all plays a factor in my approach as a strength and conditioning coach. So I look at how I grew up, like, the first question is, how did I get that speed? Like you're that's you know what? That's the question basically. How yeah, did you yeah.
1: eventually go about doing
2: this? Yeah, so I I wouldn't sit around like my mom and dad will tell you, I came home from school, dropped my school bag, and I was out the door. So I was running, rollerblading, biking, uh street hockey, road hockey as we called it, uh pond hockey. It was
1: almost by default setting, just the person that you are. Like, you know, it was going to happen.
2: Yeah, and then I remember, like, playing those jumping sports in school when I got to junior high. I was basketball, volleyball, basketball, volleyball, jump, 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 jump. And But anyway, so move past that. Um, The other thing I didn't mention, I I, I have to throw this out there. We went to a showcase uh, camp at Andrews Hockey in Prince Edward Island when I was 16, it was it was a late it was a late birth yeah you know birth year to go like you're 16 years old and all of a sudden I'm going to a showcase camp but we went up there uh, through an invite or whatever and there was actually several other AAA midget guys that ended up there the summer before AAA midget I mean uh, Keith Delaney was there there was a, a, a good group of players like Andrew Drover was up there so there were some really good hockey players that attended this camp and I remember they had. A skating coach there, a female skating coach. She was a figure skater. Laura Stam. What's that? Was it Laura Stam? No, no. Oh, I just asked you. I I went to a thing she did in PEI. I was just curious. You know how? You know how how many Prince Edward Islanders have the last name beginning with M? Right? There's, you know, there's. Yeah, yeah. Mac, this Mac. There's so many Macs, and anyway, this girl. I remember how specific and technical she was as a skater. So the reason I'm bringing this up is I learned so much in that camp. And remember what you said, I I had a mindset. I was like a sponge. I wanted to learn everything and do it as fast as I could so I could get better than everybody or try to get better than everybody. So I had that work ethic. So I took those skating drills that I learned in uh, Slemmon Park, just outside of Summerside. And I remember coming home and I would be, doing those drills when I had free time on the ice, like I was practicing these, these edges and this edge and this exercise. And anyways, I was doing that consistently all the time. So when I went to North Bay and Halifax and stuff, even I was doing stuff. I remember like getting free ice time when coaches weren't running drills and I was just skating around doing this stuff. Yeah. Okay.
1: You know what? That's going to, that's a good segue. Leave it right there. We're going to go to commercial. I'm going to be right back with part two, Ryan power.
0: Hockey fans, it's finally time to hit the ice again. And thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you're in for the season of a lifetime. New customers can bet $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they win. Do you think that Chesterkin's the favorite to win the Vesna? I don't know. I like the plus 500 on Andre Vasilevsky. There's also a Battle of Alberta coming up next weekend. How many points does Connor McDavid end up with? Who gets the win? What's the final score? These are all things you can bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with the same game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $200 in free bets if they do that's code THPN as in the hockey podcast network at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details and we are back with Ryan Power
1: so Ryan what I wanted to get into there with PEI you mentioned PEI so you go from Halifax you find yourself eventually UPEI you, you go there for 5 years what made you choose that school? Did the, did you come into their radar in Halifax or would it have been in North Bay where you said you
2: met your buddy there who was from PEI originally? What was the connection? Yeah, it, there was no connection with uh, Steve at the time. Steve had uh, pretty much packed it in on a hockey career, uh, went back home and studied law and, and became a lawyer. Very successful. I still stay in touch with him, actually. But no, I uh, I played that year in Halifax and I would like to say I had an okay year um so I I fit in there pretty good I think and then the next year I went back there as an overage player I did play a couple of games as an overage uh before going to the Maritime Junior A League and uh in the Maritime League like the confidence just came back pretty quick so yeah, yeah uh, good numbers there
1: and i mean yeah. it's overage for those that don't know you only get two overages so by the time you know there a lot of 20 year olds play uh junior a that's the way it goes and it was no slight to yourself i'm sure if you were a year younger they would have loved to have you back i know i know this because i paid attention closely and most people saw you to it was glowing reviews all around i'm not just saying that because you're on the other end of this i'm not buttering you up you know what i'm talking about you're too humble to say it so go on
2: yeah, so the Maritime League. Uh, I went there and I split the season between Amherst and Truro. And uh, like I played hockey that year with confidence. Uh, I got to Amherst; they gave me captaincy right away. Uh, I was actually a co-captain with uh, with a guy there, Mike McKay. And anyways, we uh, we had a good stint there in Amherst, and then I was traded for the playoff run. Uh, to Truro, and I actually came down with mono that year. So if you look at my stats, I didn't play the whole year. I, I had mono, so that was, uh, I can't remember, maybe two months or closer to three months. I don't. Yeah, I was going
1: to ask, so it wasn't an injury. It was mono no, of all things. Nobody that was did.
2: mono of all things, and I, I got pretty sick there, so I just kind of lay around the bill at home and just basically wait to recover and get better. Uh, so anyway, I think that's where... Uh, that's where I was noticed regards to you know the university teams and and of course some of these university teams saw me play with the Mooseheads the year before that uh, so anyway it wasn't just UPEI that had recruited me there was other schools that I spoke to and um, I just picked I just picked UPEI because of the location I, I thought it was going to be interesting to live in Charlottetown and, yeah. And, be in a different spot because I'd been in Halifax and traveled around Nova Scotia a little bit. And, and, uh, I was in Prince Edward Island as a kid. Uh, I went back there to attend Andrews, uh, hockey growth programs, uh, as a 16 year old, I liked it. I just thought it was a very neat spot. The beaches, uh, it was a cool spot to live. So I decided to go there. I, that's, there was no other connection.
1: I'd, I'd have picked there. I, 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 knowing what I know now, nothing against the other schools, And first of all, for those that don't know, that listen from afar, why are two Newfoundlanders talking about where they'd go to school? And we're not talking about Memorial University of Newfoundland is because for some reason we don't have a hockey team. I think whoever puts it there one day, it'll be successful, but we don't have one. So what we do, you know, you take your school money and you pick somewhere in Canada, a lot of us, Atlantic Canada. Now I love Charlottetown. I've come to. Really embrace the people there. I think we are most of our mutual friends in the hockey world are probably from PEI. And it looks like if you're there for five years, four years, sorry, you you must have really embraced it. So you go there. At what point do you decide I'm going to do sports science?
2: It was it was afterwards actually. So uh, through my degree, m- my big thing with being at UPI was to continue being a hockey player and still uh you know try at least to become a pro player and that was the route for a lot of players that were undrafted just a lot you know, yeah and
1: then a lot yeah. of you mentioned jody shelley earlier we, we we mentioned jody shelley and pj stock there's two glowing examples
2: yeah uh, pj went to x and 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 jody had a little stint with uh dalhousie before going pro anyways i just i knew i had to carry on at a a, a, an elite level to play pro, so that was the big focus for me. And uh, anyways, as I was studying, I wanted to be a phys ed teacher, so that's where my that's where my career was outside of the game, or where my mindset was for a career outside of the game. And and, uh, and I finished up my degree. I, I I jumped in on the substitute teaching list there in Charlottetown and got some calls and subbed some phys ed classes, and then realized quickly that. That wasn't for me. And that's actually when I started studying sports science. I, oh, I, and it's I, good you found out. You know what I
1: yeah, mean? Some, I, people, some people decide that at 48 years old. You, early on, you're like, one thing led you here, but, you know, you're not meant to do this as a phys ed teacher, maybe something else.
2: Yeah, so I, I stepped away from that. I went and played a year pro, and uh, I came back to I came back to PEI, and I had a couple of injuries down in the states, and I was very fortunate. Dr. Like I don't know if you know anything regards to because I know you spent most of your time in the American League outside of the NHL and whatever. So the pro level for you, you're you're up a little higher, but in the Central League at the time, Oklahoma City was was such Dude. a powerhouse for for support like dude i played there because i was i played in the west coast league
1: right right parts i was injured parts of two years only played 30 games each year one colorado one boise and we had crossover games to the central league it i couldn't believe and i still can't in terms of being blown away by what when i walked into oak city it was fucking madness i couldn't believe it it was sold out it was crazy. i mean i it was i remember playing in the nhl in Florida. And I'm going, man, it's not even close to this crazy. It was bonkers. People going crazy, cheerleaders, sold out, loving loving every hit, every fight, every goal. I thought it was mesmerizing. So go on.
2: So anyway, that was after my UPI days. I had that opportunity and I took it, of course, to go play in the central league. So I ended up in Oklahoma city. And like, if you look at stats once again, it don't look like I I was there for the season, but I ended up there. I played out the season, the full season. I just had a couple of bad injuries. I actually broke my hand yeah, and I remember that. that ended up to be a tough one too. It, that hand like bothered me for a long time afterwards, but uh you know the games that I got in and played. I thought I played really well, fit in at that level, uh, and had no issue at all. Like at that point in time, I I matured as a player. Thought I was I was able to fit in and, and play that role, and I had no issue. You know, regards to thinking you can't play there. Like I, I really oh, did you. feel like a pro at that point in time. But I just remember feeling so lucky. I'm like I'm undrafted. I. I went to UPI, went to school, didn't know if I was going to play after that. And then I got an opportunity to go play pro in the Central League. And now I end up in Oklahoma City and this place is packed. And this is this is the same facility that the Oklahoma City Thunder play in now, the NBA team. So, th- yeah. like, this is a wicked facility. And I walk in and I'm just blown away. Like, this is, like, an NHL-level dressing room, you know, th- uh, therapist room off to the side, a gym. A rec, uh, a rec room, oh, yeah. like this is state of the art. So anyway, I walk in there, and my fir- like the f- that was the morning of my first game in that facility in the home rink. So anyway, I walk in that dressing room, and I was just blown away before morning morning skate, and the trainers are coming at me, uh, the equipment manager. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Everything was so professional, and then I played. I think that night I played because I was. I was lacking sleep because I came from Albuquerque, New Mexico, traveled all the way across uh, to get there. And uh, anyway, when I got in there, I was just thriving off the energy of the fans like that night. And I remember just skating around. It was around. fucking
1: electric in there.
2: Yeah, it was electric. And, and I remember I earned my spot there playing that night because I was, it was just, I was flying. I felt like I was flying around and check you know, play that game and let your coach know that you belong. So I thought I fit in right from the get-go and I got along with those guys down there so well. Awesome teammates. Like I still uh, think of a few of those guys and uh, I'm in touch with how many guys from there I'm still in touch with. There's two or three of those guys I'm still in touch with like now through social media. Oh man, that was a perfect,
1: perfect a level for you to just—you were just getting started. Now injuries happen. Uh, you were just getting. When, when I was when twenty-six,
2: did make, when did making the cut happen? So making the cut was the summer before that season. So, yes. so that's what I thought. That's how, that, that's how I got my Central League opportunity. It wasn't up UPI because you look through my UPI numbers, I didn't have any. Uh, like the I played I didn't, an-
1: I didn't even look at him. I just knew you were there for that long, and I generally get a good vibe from people that you were there. I mean, you must have. Again, you're a role player, so I don't expect
2: to look at Yeah, down I was, a, really I good. was a, I was a role player at UPI, and 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 I loved it there. Uh, some of the best friends that I have now are are guys I played with at UPI. I ran into a couple of brothers, the McCaughren brothers, Liam and Ali. Played with Ali in Halifax, but he ended up at UPI with us, and he was also in Moncton there at the Atlantic Challenge Cup last week. So I got to see those guys. Uh, Chris McPhee, he's another guy I played with, ran into him over there. And, of course, as you know, because we're well-connected to a mutual friend here, Darcy Harris, I keep in touch with with Darcy, like, monthly, on a regular basis. He's a great guy, one of the... Yeah, he is. He's one of the best. And he was a captain of mine at UPI there for a little bit. So, the recruiting for me to go pro wasn't so much... Uh, from UPI because I wasn't putting up any numbers, I was just playing a, a grinding role, a forechecking checking role, and uh, back six kind of a player. But at least I had a role there to play, like I was on the yeah. team every year for finishing up my degree. But anyway, um, so you know what? The story goes, so Joel Ward went to the making the cut tryout in Halifax, and of course, you know, Joel had a, I think Joel ended up 13 years in the NHL, and he yeah. played for us at UPI for three years.
1: Stanley Cup. Hockey fans, if you don't know, look up Joel Ward. And Darcy Harris, I'll say. Look, that guy, you probably haven't heard his name other than being on this podcast about a year or two ago, but one of
2: the toughest players and well-respected
1: players from the Maritimes. Yeah, so he's
2: he's another one of those yeah. tough guys. Like And so well-respected. Such an awesome fella, great teammate. But we had a lot of those guys at UPI that were really good, just solid guys that would just hang out and do friends, stuff. Friends for life. Now yeah. I, cu- I cut you off with the making the cut. No, you're right. But anyway, so I remember Joel came back from Halifax at the making the cut tryout. So this is when all this was unfolding. Guys were hearing about it. There was an NHL lockdown happening. Uh that was coming up anyway, the the, the season, uh you know, in uh, leading up into the fall. And anyway, so Joel came back and he said, You have to go to this thing. And I'm like, I was just kind of think my hockey career might have been done, but uh, and I went through a stint where I wasn't feeling well. So I hadn't been at my best either personally. And, um, he came to me and he said, uh, you have to go to this thing. I said, why, why, why should I go? And he, he just said, he said, he said, they do three on three. He said, you have to go play this thing. He said, it's yeah. three on three hockey. There's not five on five. It's three on three. It'll give you an opportunity to, like to carry the puck." And He knew I had that skating ability and yeah. i went and tried out in ottawa i had to fly to ottawa because i missed the halifax camp
1: so how does it go you, you you show up and how many people were there well
2: i think there was over six thousand that tried out through canada okay but there was a lot of like there were so many great hockey players that went and tried out for this thing guys that kind of it fell off the radar. I remember uh, that. Yeah, their careers kind of fell short. So we're talking about a lot of phenomenal players. There was drafted players, guys that had stints in the NHL, guys that played a lot of pro hockey. Um, were, any, were all that because I know that the deal and the
1: I believe on the show was the six Canadian teams at the time. What were, they, were other teams there? Were other teams allowed to send a scout? I mean, I would if it was a bunch of people that might have slipped through the cracks. Yeah, if I this was, with was New pretty Jersey cool. Devils, I'd go there.
2: Yeah, this was pretty cool because the original tryouts, this is the one, the tryouts I'm talking about now, like Joel, I remember some of my UPI teammates went to Halifax. It was there, and I was working at the time as a scuba diver in the off-season from hockey. So I was busy, and I and I wasn't really considering hockey at, at that particular moment. But when it was Joel that convinced me, because he was the one who said that, he said, you got to go try out for this. He said, like, you will make it. So I went to Ottawa, f- jumped on a flight to Ottawa, I didn't know anyone there i went on and skated and i yeah i remember three on three hockey for me like it was a no-brainer so yeah yeah I, totally, my childhood the Less
1: people on the ice the better for you
2: yeah my childhood just like it just came up it came on me again like i just started hounding the puck and getting the puck and then i just used to I would wheel around with it and right. so anyway i i Long story short, I made it to Vernon, BC. So that was when they considered it like a pro-level camp. And that will that camp was on lockdown. So no public in the building. But Tierra, there's so many uh NHL uh personnel there, like you got Kelly Rudy, uh Mike Keenan, Scotty Bowman, uh Alain Vigno, um uh Greg Gilbert. I, I can keep naming them. They were just everywhere. And so I participated in that camp at that point in time, they went from, I think it was 6,000 or something down to 68 players that were invited and and took part in the actual reality part of the show. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, I was going through there. I thought I was going through kind of like, like smoothly. I I was doing well and popped in a couple of goals. And I, of course, skating, I think that was well-recognized. Got a big compliment from Mike Keenan while I was there on my skating. I remember that he just kind of randomly ran into me in the hallway of the Vernon rink after coming off the ice and he had thrown me a big compliment on how well I skated as a, as a player. So I had good confidence there, but you know, unfortunately I ended up taking a puck off the wall. You remember Ryan Lozon that played here in Clarenville. I
1: do. He played his minor hockey at Mount Pearl, if you can believe it before moving to Halifax or wherever. I do.
2: I do remember that. And I played against Ryan in the queue, but anyway, Ryan and I ended up on the same line, this particular game we played and uh i just came across the middle and ryan just banked the puck off the boards to me coming out of the zone on the breakout and i took it and i always went wide i you probably remember that i was just a player i just used to get it and go right down the boards yeah and uh, it was and i always went down the boards i always had so much confidence going wide on d and this particular time i cut into the middle like i don't understand why but i cut into the middle and one of the biggest guys in the camp just came right up on me and so like you know, I have my head kind of buried down into my chest, but I was looking back to corral the puck. So as I was turning, he was, this D was already on top of me. So that ended my stint on the show, uh, but I had already went a long ways through. Like I was almost at the very end when I had gotten hurt and that was a bad injury. I was, I was done at that point.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, injuries. And by the way, by the way, when you're, you know, sometimes I, I get a hint of, like, justification. You don't have to justify anything or that your game's played. You've had a fucking fantastic career. People look at it. Success is in the eyes of the beholder. Now, what you're doing now, you're still involved. You're giving back. But, I mean, I look at it. It's what an experience. Two major junior leagues, played in the Maritime Junior League, living in all kinds of different cities before you're 20. Then a full schooling, all paid through through hockey, and then went on of all places. you were going to play in the minors. I mean, Oklahoma City. I mean honestly for people that haven't just go on google it check out any number of events or, or games that they've played in recent history and uh i tell you it's one of the most electric buildings i've ever been in um i'm running out of time but i want to do rapid fire That's randoms. yeah do you have do you have time to do rapid fire
2: randoms absolutely yeah i mean with these podcasts you can just go off on so many different topics there's so much to cover everything so i, I know time is uh Time is tough to come. No, time's by.
1: only for me because Penny Lane got to go to soccer. But it, did you? Did I cut you off before the end of that story? If so, finish no. and we'll do it whenever.
2: Yeah, no, not at all. I, I, I just know at one point there we were chatting about, you know, how I kind of led into my career and whatever. But I mean, that's something we can talk about at another time if you want to get me on. Or, or of course, or whatnot.
1: I want to get you yeah. and New hook on.
2: Yeah, I know we spoke about that back in the summer. But I mean, that guy was so busy, and I didn't want to pull him in to a different direction because there was so much going on with the Stanley cup parade and the party. And, and, and by the
1: way, by the way, no, I know. And before, before I do get the rapid fire randoms, the transition now you, cause I do want to know this, all that happened. Okay. And the way I understand it, you had all those injuries. So that, that wasn't a surprise, everything. Cause I remember looking back and following along and that happening. But you did come back to Newfoundland, I remember and started to train on ice and did some off ice before you had the buildings you work in now. Did you I know you played senior hockey? I know you did for at least a full year in Clarenville. Did were you there the Allen Cup year or the year before?
2: Yeah, so uh I won to herder here in Clarenville. Yeah. And uh I ended up playing I, I guess three full seasons in Clarenville, maybe. Uh two years, two years in Deer Lake with the Red Wings. So okay. I had five, I think it was five total. Uh, years in the senior league and senior hockey then. And I know you were playing right in the middle of it all was crazy. It was, uh, it was. I knew really... the Deer
1: Lake, I just, went, I, how many years in Clarenville? So it was, it was more, it was two years in Clarenville.
2: I played, I played one in Deer Lake before I moved back to Newfoundland. I was flying back and forth and then I ended up with, yeah. So I ended up with three in Clarenville and then I went back to Deer Lake for a, a short okay. stint again and then i came back to clarenville for the allen cup so that's
1: what messes me up because i was in the league all those years but i i I just i I remember you more as a red wing for some reason but then again clarenville again was in the west a couple of those years i probably didn't play against you for those listening anyway the newfoundland senior league jumped. there was 18 different versions of it in 20 years it seems but it always involved traveling imports uh you know some side money. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun it, it was really an extension of pro it was semi pro for lack of a better word and we won our first allen cup which is the canadian senior hockey championship again which is basically semi pro these days the first one in i guess it would have been almost 20 years uh, over 20 years in 2010 or 11 so
2: 2011 so I was on that team and actually that that was my last game we won that Allen Cup and that was my, that was the last game of senior hockey I played that was the last game of hockey competitive hockey okay and you
1: didn't I remember when I went there I played in Clarenville for a stint in 14 oh. 15 I believe and you were you were on our bench you were assistant coach yeah that's uh, right you were you were toying with the idea, but you never did come back and lace them up.
2: Probably. Yeah, I, I well, I got two wonderful daughters that's playing the game, and actually, Jolie, my oldest daughter, I already mentioned Bryn, but my oldest daughter's at the Mount Academy right now in Prince Edward Island, so she's actually up there in Charlottetown right now. And sending her there was it was a comfortable decision for us because we had spent so much time there, uh, myself and Penny. So it was uh, it was a good decision for her, and she's one of those players that's developing at a later age and, and seems to be doing really well. So hoping that she'll get a college or university opportunity uh, with the female game and and whatnot. Um, So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I hear she's a dynamite player. So when
1: I'm I'm just putting a timeline to this before we move on to rapid fire randoms coming right up, but when did the, 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 the place in here that I know on Wopock Lane Power Conditioning Clinic. is it? How long has that been there? And well, I, I know I started, now, I just drop in once in a while. I skate with these guys all the time, okay? Yeah. Um. But I just don't find myself inside of a gym much lately. But I know that they all go, they all speak highly of you. I know that there's a mix of respect, uh, trust, and friendship kind of thing, you know, because you, you got to balance those the right way if you're coaching and I'm sure you know that and you learned that through experience, but they all speak highly of you. I just can't remember when it all started in here. Yeah,
2: so so have- 2000, 2008, uh, the summer 2008 is when I started in there. Okay. And uh, I started getting an old out of these young, young players at the time that were coming up through, uh, you know, there was Nathan Noel and, uh, yeah. you know, of course, you know, Matt Smith, uh, like you know, I have Smitty there working for me now. And yeah. uh, Blake Dalton, Michael Connors, Maggie Connors his brother. And then I started training Maggie, of course, uh, later on down the road. Just, I can keep naming them. There's so many, I feel bad not being able to throw everyone's name into this podcast because I mean, like Joey Yipman and, and a lot of those players that are a little bit older, Joey's a goalie, he's a physiotherapist uh, now, but I trained so many of these elite level players. And then Alex came a little bit after, you know, Alex started with me really young, but Uh, my actual gym opened up. So I was using a high school gymnasium, but my actual gym, uh, opened up in 2015, but I was working with players well before that. So in 2008, I started working with a lot of those, uh, players there and just been back and forth ever since. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's how much on ice do you do now? Uh, not as much because we're just so busy in the gym. Like the training portion of it is, uh, I Let's only
1: ask it. because I remember you used to have the camps on, but you, your yeah, your niche like you're known as an off ice expert.
2: Uh, yeah, I still you know do. Yeah, still doing power skating occasionally, and then our summer skates. Uh, I know there's lots of summer skates happening, so I didn't have to be the leader of a you know of a summer skate for for the guys I trained to skate. Like there's so many skates going on, and we had yeah. I actually had 130 kids this summer training, and there's so much work that goes uh, into that behind the scenes, TR like planning. And I am, I'm borderline obsessed with what I do. Like everything has to be just so, or it's not working for me. Like these training, uh, routines that we follow, like I plan these, I study them. I make sure that I'm so strict on execution and we don't waste any time. So that, that is really, you know, taking up hundred percent of my time, uh, regards to work.
1: They need you more off the ice doing what you're doing than on. There's lots of uh, ice surfaces. And they're on, they're you're right. Back in the day, there used to be one rink, maybe two by the end of the summer. Now, it's pretty much on everywhere. So you're, you're never too far away from ice in the summertime. So anyway, I'm going to move on now to rapid-fire randoms. Is this okay? And are you ready?
2: Oh, yeah. Ready to go.
1: Here we go. Rapid-fire randoms with Ryan Power. <laughs> Ryan Power, what's the most you've ever eaten in one sitting?
2: Oh, my God. Actually... Uh there's two stories. It's, they're both embarrassing to be honest, but I was really, really young. Uh I guess I'll tell you the Big Ma- the no, not the Big Mac story. I'm not gonna go with that one. That ended up a bad situation. But uh six Big Marys.
1: Oh boy, the Big Mary. The for those that don't know, go to Mary Brown's Pronto. Yeah, that's all have, over Canada yeah, and I, now.
2: And I have a good friend who's an owner of Mary Brown's, so and I always ask for, for the extra pickles. I heard they don't call it a Big Mary anymore. It's I don't know. Fillet, right? I, yeah, chicken fillet. But I haven't had one now. I haven't ordered one in a while. Like it's not. No, like, I
1: guess not. You're, yeah. You're, okay. You used to be six big Marys. How old
2: were you? I this was a long time ago, but I remember having six in one setting. Okay. There was just I, I. just I eat so much. I have such an appetite. Like I have so many friends and stuff that just pick at me and say, "Eat this, eat this," and they're trying to get me to eat as much as I can. And this was a long time ago, but yeah, I did have six. You in must one have setting. a great
1: metabolism. For those that don't know. Um, Brian, you're looking pretty good. Not a a high level of body fat. fat. Um, Okay, you come come into your gym that you're sitting in right now. You find that it's been broken into. You see a guy going out back. He got his leg caught in the door, and you take one of those weights, and you smash him over the head. Now you're going to jail. You're getting tried in Texas for some weird reason, and they got the death row, or they got the death penalty. Now you're on death row. You got one meal left as you sit in your cell in Texas for some weird reason, and you did it in Clarenville. What do you order to eat? Jigs Dinner. Jigs Dinner. Look that up, folks. If you're not from Newfoundland and never been, you probably don't know what the hell we're talking about. But I love Jigs Dinner, and I think you're the first person to ever say it. Uh, What superpower would you have if you had to pick one? Uh, I'd have to fly. You'd have to fly, just like? You, you you fly, Your are skating is a metaphor for flight, but you just take that, take off, that'd be your jet engines, just skate, 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 and then take off like Superman. Yeah. Hopefully you'd use that power to the good. Yeah. Okay, you got to give up one of these things, red meat, blue jeans, pasta, or coffee? Blue jeans. Dinner with. Okay, you're going to go to dinner, not only dinner, you're going to go to dinner and a night at the opera with one of these people. OK, um, so it's going to be a nice meal. You're going to order. You're going to have a nice conversation and then you're going to cap it off with some. a Sitting at the opera and maybe maybe a piano bar after. So lots of conversation. An interesting night out. Steve Eisenman, Mariola Mew, Wayne Gretzky or
2: Bobby Orr. Oh, without question, Wayne Gretzky. I wouldn't even think twice. Okay, so he was your player as well. Yeah, I loved him. Still do, just, I don't know, class act, but, I mean, watching them growing up as a kid with the Oilers in L.A., oh, that guy was... It was just...
1: tough not to like Gretzky. Right? Yeah, yeah. People say Gretzky or Lemieux, I just loved both of them. They were so different, and they could
0: Same just... here,
2: actually, all those, play, those four players you just named, all of them phenomenal, and no disrespect to the other three, but... Uh, Wayne Gretzky 100% hands down Yep, yeah. right on uh, you gotta fight one of these people Brad Pitt Leo DiCaprio
1: Johnny Depp or Robert Downey Jr. so it's, <laughs> there's there's $100,000 on the table if you win you keep it if not hey you took a shit kicking but you gotta fight one of those people
2: so if I win I get the money yep oh I'd say I'm fighting I don't know Brad Pitt
1: any reason other than the other guys just fuck it he looks good and you don't think there's much behind the punch?
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I, he just strikes me as a guy I probably never fought before. Fair enough. Favorite TV show of all time? Uh, Three's Company, maybe? Whoa,
1: great answer. Come and knock on my door. Best concert you've ever been at?
2: Oh, uh, not a big concert guy. I know you are. Uh, I know you love just love music, and I do too, but... Not a big concert guy. So I would have to say John Fogarty, St. John's. Mm, well, I mean,
1: he is a legend. If, if, you had, if you had to go to one concert even and that was it, it wouldn't be a bad time. Greedens Clearwater Revival, for those that don't uh, know. And, uh, of course, an artist in his own right. But CCR, man, it's hard to go wrong with CCR's greatest hits. Would you go to Mars? Now, it's going to take you a year to get there. And a year, you know, you're in a rhythm right now you 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 know your kids are going to age and everything else and you'll be like you know shit i missed the whole year but when you come back you're 5 years younger would you do it yeah I'm, go-
2: I'm going to mars 100%
1: oh interesting and you didn't even have to think about
2: that yeah no i'm going to mars i'm afraid of heights but yet i do want to become a float pa- plane pilot and at some point in my life and i'm actually hoping to you buy yourself follow- 5 years as as well as learn to fly yeah i'm i'm going to mars 100% uh,
1: would you do so next question then you're scared of heights would how much money would it take to do the CN Tower Skywalk uh or they come
2: out over the edge I don't or? think I don't think I could
1: I, couldn't.
2: I know I couldn't I got up there no, and so I'd like tell you back in the North Bay days I remember we were in Toronto we got dropped off at Toronto the day before after doing a trip down against the London Knights we were down on that road swing down there through London And we came back up and it was close to Christmas vacation. So they dropped us off in Toronto to take the flight the next morning. But we were dropped off there fairly early. I remember me and the other maritime guys. And uh, we ended up 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 in the CN Tower. I can't even walk on that glass.
1: Oh, no, it's horrible.
2: I can't either. I got to crawl. It
1: throws me right off. Penny Lane and I were just there and I was going to take her up. And I'm glad we ran out of time because I I know it's. I don't know what it is. You you're looking at it. It's an elevator. There's never been a problem. You go up. It's all an optical illusion that you are cuz you're not in any danger. But yeah. hang off the side, no chance. I can't step on oh. the glass either. I don't know why I got to get right low to the ground and like I, the I, whole I, time I'm up there, I'm I'm going, "Okay. It's going to be okay." Like I'm talking to myself.
2: But it's funny. Yeah, I want to hang glide and do all that kind of stuff and hang off cliffs and stuff, but I can't I can't do the CN Tower The thing. only
1: thing I can do is zip line of all of it and for some reason I'm fine. Yeah, I can do that too. Weird, hey? Something yep. in your head. Uh, as someone who's scared of heights, I can attest to. Um, would you go with a blue, you got to do this forever, a blue mohawk, a shirt that says Disco Duck, and change your name to Fitz McGee. So for the rest of time, you're Fitz McGee, you got a blue mohawk, and your shirt has to say Disco Duck on it for
2: $6.2 million a year. Um, I do Fitz McGee, I think.
1: Well, you'd have to do all three for 6.2 million a year. Well, i am got to You're, do all three. You have yeah. to have a blue mohawk. You have to pee. You have to have disco duck written on your shirt, and your name is legally Fitz McGee.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd probably do it. I mean, it's
1: 6.2 a year. So Yeah, I can, I can do that for sure. Yeah, I could do lots of things. explain that to people. I'm sure they'd understand. Um, every time someone says the word sick... For the rest of your life so it's not a word that you hear every day but it's fairly common the word sick you have to beat your chest like an ape and say robots rule okay for a new cottage every five years
2: no i'm pretty i'm a pretty quiet kind of guy so i like i don't know if i'd end up doing that beating my chest and but you know (laughs) what you'd have
1: to that's part of the deal
2: I, ha- I have my own cabin here in the backcountry, and I absolutely love it. I uh, Every time I go there, I feel like I have the best little spot. How there, far is it? Because uh, you
1: actually live in Shoal Harbor. Am I wrong?
2: Yeah, I live in Shoal Harbor. No, you're right. Uh, uh, it's like a 45-minute quad ride. I get there on Snow Machine a little quicker, like 30, 35 minutes, but it's backcountry. It's only now that I can actually drive to it. Uh, by vehicle, but I, I just, uh, I lately purchased a, a Jeep so I can, I can take a Jeep there, uh, take my time in the Jeep. Takes me about an hour. Sum up playing for the Deer Lake Red Wings in a sentence. Oh God, that's a tough one. People don't know
1: that's a senior hockey team in Western Newfoundland. I used to play for the corner Brook Royals and there was a huge rivalry and, uh, yeah, you won't find much of it on Hockey DB, but like I said, I talk about it a lot, but Ryan and I played against each other in this Newfoundland circuit for, for many years, so there's an extension. Yeah. It's not
2: even on Hockey DB for a lot of us, right? That goes on for years. So a sentence? Uh, I would have to say a group of hockey players that are relentless. Hey, that's not bad.
1: Summed up rather nicely. Uh, your pet peeve?
2: Uh... Oh my god, I have so many. Jeez, that yeah, that that one stumps me. Um oh, I I got a good one. Yeah, so stopping to pay for gas and you're kind of in a rush and the person in front of you decides that they're going to buy funny uh, lot of
1: uh, Yeah, I fucking know it that's one of mine and it happens here in Newfoundland more than ever. It's like accepted.
2: Oh, well, we already talked about me beating the highway and I'm like just back yeah. and forth, back and forth. so much gas. And then I'm kind of looking at my time going, I got to get to work. And then somebody right in front of me happens all the time. 20 lotto tickets, 30 lotto tickets.
1: One, no, I totally agree, man. And again, I say that sometimes and people aren't from here go, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, it's a thing. People go and buy tickets and then they check them and keep buying sometimes, which oh, yeah. is beyond ignorant. And I can't you believe wanna,
2: that it's... it's you They want to scratch them right in front of you. Like they don't. Yeah.
1: One of these got to be your DJ name. You're going to change. In two years from now, you have another epiphany and say, What the fuck was I doing teaching hockey? I should be a DJ. You got to go by Popcorn Power, Corkscrew Kid, Pink Poodle, or The Rhino.
2: The Rhino. My daughter calls me Rhino. Jolie calls me Rhino.
1: Okay. Ryan kind of goes with The Rhino. Now, name me your all time team. Can't be a Hab, can't be Gretzky Lemieux. Or,
2: or how? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, we got to go with. That. I've thought about this before, actually, because this is a question you ask quite a bit, eh? I do ask this quite yeah. a bit. You're right. Um, there you go. You are a listener. Yeah. So I'm going to go uh, Connor McDavid. Uh, I'm going to go Mark Messier. There you go. Pavel Bure. Oof. Love yeah. that answer. Doesn't get said enough. Pull it. Bure, 100%. And, uh, on D, Kale McCarr, I love that guy. And uh, another D, Kale McCarr, nice. Yeah, he's going to end up
1: being. If all he get, if you just tell me, the only put it this way, what I'm trying to say is that the only thing that can hold him back is injury. I think if he plays out his career, he's going to be he's as be game one of changing as anybody. Yeah.
2: And I've gotten a chance to watch him a bit because I'm watching Alex's yeah, game too. a lot as well, of course, right? So I'm getting a chance to see him play. I didn't realize how good he was. And that guy is actually not. Fucking decision making is next to I just can't even believe some of the plays he makes. Yeah, he's so intelligent. And just it happens like on instinct within like split seconds here and there. It's unbelievable. The other D would uh, have to be, I got to say, Al McGinnis, because I played with his uh, nephew at UPEI and he was. The same kind of player, just had that crazy hard slap shot from the point. And uh, also, you could tell that Al seemed to be quite a leader there in his Calgary days, St. Louis days. And Aaron yeah. was the same thing when I played with him. So I'd have to go with Al McGinnis on D. And I guess, we uh, do we have to pick a goalie here? Yeah. Goaltender? Uh, Grant Fuhrer. That is a fantastic
1: pick and uh, Al McGinnis imagine him with the one piece sticks okay We're just about at the end Ryan do you have anything to push how do people uh someone wants to get trained by Ryan Power how do they get a hold of you
2: Um I'm terrible on social media even though I use it and you probably see me on there I'm I'm not really great with my social media I every day I think about like pushing it more and more. I find them just too busy. I'm still so involved as a trainer, as a strength and conditioning coach on the floor. So that gets pretty tough. So uh, I do use it uh, as much as I can. So Instagram is my number one choice.
1: Uh, what are you? Power conditioning?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Power conditioning. Yeah. I, I don't use my personal name. Do you have a website? Uh, I do. Yeah. Powerconditioninginc.com. Okay the website, you can go on there. Um, and these are things I need to fix up because, uh, I don't have a big search engine going there regards to popularity. And, and I know why it's, I, I don't put time and effort into these things like I should. So as a business owner, yeah. Uh, I have those, uh, social media accounts, uh, available to look at. Uh, anyone can reach out to me on those, uh, any of those social media options, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Fa- I use Facebook as well. And uh Okay. Yeah, so.
1: Well, there it is. Okay, listen, it's been a blast. Thanks a lot for doing this, Ryan Power, one of my good friends and really uh, guiding a lot of young players in the right direction here in Newfoundland. Thanks a lot for doing this, my man. Folks, this has been episode 125B of Tales with TR. If you're going to go downtown, check out Rob Roy. Check out tj's the bull and barrel trinity pub green sleeves if you're going to go for a bite to eat why not do it at blue merchant tavern or of course wedgwood cafe at the end of elizabeth avenue also available for catering ask my buddy peter wedgwood thank you very much folks i'll be back in just a couple of days with another episode of tales with tr we'll catch you on the rebound